There was a man who was drowning in the middle of the sea. So he prayed to the Lord, Lord, I ask that you would save me from this drowning. I trust that you'll save me. So a woman in a small boat comes by and she throws the man a rope and he calls out to her, no thank you, I've prayed unto the Lord and he's going to take care of me. So she pulls away. And a fishing vessel comes by a short time later and the fishermen throw the man a net and they say, grab on, we'll save you. And the man says, I've cried out to the Lord for help, I don't need your nets, you fishers of men. And then finally, a helicopter hovers over the man, lowers down a ladder. They call out to him, grab on, we'll save you. And the man calls out, beginning to lose energy, says, the Lord will save me. I trust in him. So the helicopter flies away. And eventually the man drowns. And when he stands before Almighty God, he asks him, he says, Lord, I prayed and I trusted in you alone. For my whole life, I trusted you to deliver me from the drowning. What happened? And God looks at the man and he says, bro, I sent you two boats and a helicopter. What more did you want? My name is Jacob Beach and I'm one of the pastors here at Scarlet City Church. And this morning we're going to be looking at the final line of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 613. We've spent the last few weeks looking at the Lord's Prayer and Jesus's example of how we should pray and the types of things that we should be praying for. And I'm sure that many of you have perhaps heard that opening jokey story. It illustrates where we're headed this morning. Our lives are filled with trials and temptations, things that challenge us, things that discourage us things that call for our attention and our focus. And what I want to focus this morning on is that final verse of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus' encouragement for us to be honest with ourselves. It says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus is encouraging us at, that as a regular part of our prayer life, our prayer relationship with God should be to acknowledge our weaknesses and to call out to the Lord for deliverance. Trial and temptation will always be present in our lives. From birth until death, moment to moment, we will always be presented with options, with choices. And we will never be free from temptation. We'll never be perfect in our choices, our decisions in this life. So in the midst of challenges and these fork-in-the-road moments, where are we to turn? Where are we to find encouragement and deliverance? This morning, I want to embolden you that you are not only able to turn to God in our weaknesses and in our testing, but we are expected to call out to Him for support in our time of need. When you're in trouble, call for help. So let's begin by looking at the whole of the Lord's Prayer, specifically our verses at the end. I'll read Matthew 6, 9 through 13. It says, 
Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we ask you to speak to us, to be with us as we discuss the idea of temptation and trial. Give us encouragement from your word. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to focus in here on verse 13. Like we said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The Lord's Prayer is a model for our prayer life. It's supposed to be a model for how it's supposed to look. And in this final line, this final petition to God, it asks, lead us not into temptation, but deliver me, deliver us, liberate me from evil. Temptation exists, but what does the Bible talk about when it speaks about temptation? Temptation is a desire for something, especially something wrong or unwise. Temptation is probably something for some of us who grew up in church or in youth groups. It was always discussed as bad things, right? Don't do drugs. Don't listen to music with bad language. Don't watch R-rated movies. Don't ride in cars with boys. Lines are drawn up, right? Lines in the sand. This is the line, and don't cross it, whatever you do. It wasn't uncommon in conversations like this to hear an adolescent boy ask a question like, how far can I go with a girl before it's too far? These are the ways that we would talk about temptation. Good and evil, right and wrong, holy and unholy. But each of us are different. We each come from different places. For some of us, maybe going to church was the temptation that we were told to stay away from. Don't get involved with those church people. They're going to brainwash you. They're going to judge you. They're going to fill you with shame and humiliation. So it's very important when we have any conversation about temptation that we understand where we come from and what the stakes are. Our entire conversation up to this point in the book of Matthew, and specifically Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount here in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, have been revolving around the idea of human flourishing. This is what God wants for his children. This is what Jesus wants for his brothers and sisters. It's flourishing. He wants us to experience joy and peace, rest and worship. When we know our place in the world, it's supposed to be a freeing thing for us. God wants us to be liberated and free, to experience this life to the fullest. And all of his teachings about morality and life, are, if, if, if all they're boiled down to is simply do good things and avoid bad things, and God will accept you. And we miss the point entirely. We miss the point of life. We are made to flourish and grow, to display the justice and love and glory of God himself as his people, as his vessels 
in this world. And when we are tempted by things, it's not always because they won't be enjoyable in the moment. They often are. But when we are tempted to live in a way that's contrary to the flourishing that the creator of all life and everything good, it's an offer for something less. It's an offer for something less than, something contrary to our created order, something small. Jesus isn't warning us to not enjoy life to the fullest. He's warning us that there is so much less that we could be living for, so why not live for the best? C.S. Lewis has a famous illustration when he suggests that if all we know is something small, then how could we understand something big and beautiful and wonderful? To a child, Halloween is the greatest conceivable thing. A bag full of Halloween candy that you fill up just by walking around to your neighbor's houses, it's the greatest conceivable wonder. Amen is right. And a child, a child can't fathom the idea that an adult can just go out and get candy whenever they want. Can eat it before dinner, after dinner, for dinner, whatever you want. So how can you explain to a five-year-old what a perfect day at Cedar Point is like? How can you explain to a five-year-old what healthy sex is like? How can you explain what it means to feel when you watch a movie and it makes you cry and you just feel complete? What it's like to watch the Cleveland Cavaliers hoist the championship trophy? What it's like to pay off debt? I wouldn't know. (laughs) A child, a child has no idea what these feelings are like. The the greatest thing that they can conceive of is a free bag of candy. (coughs) Excuse me. And we aren't that different from being like children. If we don't know what it's like to experience God, what it's like to be with Him, what it's like to feel His love, to experience His grace in a tangible way, to experience acceptance and freedom to the fullest, if we don't understand what's being offered to us, a relationship with the creator and lover of the universe, then we won't understand Jesus' teaching on temptation. Because it's just going to sound like Jesus is telling us to draw arbitrary lines in the sand. So that is the foundation that Jesus is coming from and where we as a church are coming from. We are making the assumption that the life experience that Jesus is offering to us is good. It's the best good. So with that base, with that foundation, what is Jesus telling us to pray for here in verse 13? He's praying to God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Theologically, God is not the origin of evil. The wording here can be a bit confusing. God himself does not lure us into temptation, but rather God rescues us from the enslaving power of sin and death. It's as if, uh, this wording could be confusing as if we're pleading with God to not be the one who tempts us away from the flourishing that he offers. Please, Lord, don't tempt us away from yourself. 
But James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15 clears this up a little bit, gives us a necessary understanding. When it says, let no one say when they are being tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when they are lured and enticed by their own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. James is reminding us that when we are being tempted, that we would do well to remember that it is not God who is tempting us, but it is not always that simple, not that easy to settle on. The Bible itself is filled with stories of God, like a metal worker, like a a smelter, if you will, applies pressure to his people to refine them in their faith. In those moments of temptation, of trial, of difficulty, of dark nights in the soul, God enters into these experiences and uses them to make us stronger, to make us durable. Our obedience grows, our joy grows, our stability and vigor grow. Think of Abraham and Isaac in the Old Testament when God commands a great sacrifice. A father is to sacrifice his son. Abraham is obedient. And though the Lord ultimately provides an alternative, it's not before Abraham's heart is put through the furnace and comes out the other side. The nation of Israel wandering in the wilderness for years and years trying to take the promised land. Through many temptations and failures, God builds their faith in his power of deliverance and protection. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, prisoners in a foreign land, when they refuse to bow down to the pagan gods, they're thrown into an actual furnace of fire. And their response in Daniel 3 is, our God has the ability to save us, so we trust in him. Let him save us. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't save us, we're not going to bow down to your lesser gods. They trusted in the Lord, even if it meant they would not be saved from death. Jesus himself, in Matthew 4, following his baptism, is led away by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan. In this case, the Spirit of God does not prevent Jesus does not protect Jesus from facing this temptation and trial, but rather the Spirit is with him and in him, and it arranges for his passage through. So Jesus is clearly in this this prayer acknowledging that temptation and trial exist in this life, and there will be times that are painful when it's thick around us, when you feel so deep in darkness that it's hard to know which way is up. And the prayer that we are to pray is for God's strength in the midst of difficulty. For the Spirit of God himself to be present with us in the midst of temptation that we would not give in. Now, I hope I'm not the first one to give you this news, but we are weak people. Human beings are weak. Christians are weak. Without aid, without assistance, without power, what do we actually have to withstand? What do we have that makes us able to stand up to the power of evil, to sin, to 
things that seem to have all the answers, things that truly appeal to us. Now, I mentioned this back in November in a previous sermon, so forgive me if you remember the thought, but temptation by its very nature is always going to be something that we want. You're never going to be tempted by something that doesn't appeal to you, something that you're not already inclined to want or desire. The picture that I used before was that I'm never tempted to trade a $20 bill for a $1 bill because I know that the $20 bill is better. It's 20 times better, in fact. So what is it for you? We're each made uniquely different, different proclivities and tastes. What's the thing that tempts you to walk away from the flourishing that God offers to us? For me, one thing I'm tempted to believe is that God's acceptance is not enough for me. When God tells me that I am his child, I am his beloved son, that he loves me unconditionally, that there's nothing that I can do to separate myself from his love, I believe it, but it's not always enough. I think about what I need to bring to the table how I need to balance out the scales, how I need to make myself more acceptable, especially to other people, right? Am I I funny enough? Am I cool enough? Am I up to date on the latest trends? I mean, obviously, but... It's way easier for me to accept someone else and honestly, truly tell them that they are loved by me, they are loved by others, they are loved by God, but it's hard to extend that same grace to myself every moment. The world tells me that I got to be on the latest stuff. I believe it. Take the hook. And that's a bigger one. And and for each one of us, it can be big, it can be small, it can be multiple things. Temptation to trust in a godless system for deliverance. Temptation to think that money can solve all of our problems. Temptation to think that God can't be known. There's, no, there's nothing out there. Just eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we will die. Temptation is everywhere. So what Jesus is telling us to pray for is real. It's timely help, assistance, deliverance. The evil one is going to tempt us. The philosophies and ways of the world are going to tempt us. Our own personal Fallen nature is going to tempt us. And these these temptations are going to be appealing. They're going to make sense. They're going to be attractive and desirable. They're going to lead us away from the flourishing that God has for us. One of the best things about Jesus' teaching, and his teaching specifically here, is about how when, when, he, when he teaches us how to pray, there's, there's practicality with it. He doesn't merely make these statements about things that are true in the world around us and in our hearts, but he couples that teaching with existential practice. He gives us resolution. He gives us a response to the difficulty and challenges that we face. So let's bring our attention to three practical applications of deliverance from temptation that Jesus is talking about here. We have three things to embrace in the face of trial and temptation. There's going to be three parts. It's going to deal with a horizontal component, 
a vertical component, and a centering component. The first is the horizontal. We need to be open and vulnerable about our struggles and weaknesses with others. One of the most freeing things that you can realize about yourself is that you aren't special. You aren't the first one to experience temptation. You aren't uniquely experiencing this difficulty and trial. Even in a room this size, there might be one, five, a dozen, a hundred people who are experiencing or have experienced the same thing that you're going through. And if we aren't able to let our guard down safely in Christian community, then how are we supporting one another's faith? This is a two-sided coin. You aren't perfect, so don't pretend that you are. Don't pretend that you have it all together. And when someone else admits their weaknesses to you, don't be surprised. Don't be appalled. Are you having a hard time raising your kids? Me too. Are you questioning some of the foundations of your faith? Me too. Are you too focused on moving up in the world? Me too. Temptation is not something that we should struggle with privately, suffering all alone. And I know that I can't speak for everyone here, but I can tell you that I, myself, and many others in this very room would gladly hear out what you're going through, what you're struggling with, as long as you're willing to hear out our mistakes, our missteps, our imperfections. We're stronger together. And we talk enough in Christian circles about being accepting and loving and welcoming to people. At some point, we have to actually do it. God himself has made it clear in Scripture, if we truly come to him in humility, he will never, ever turn us away. So let's follow his lead, here and now, face to face. Let's try to judge each other less and start fighting for each other. That's the horizontal component, being open and vulnerable about your struggles and weaknesses with others. The second is vertical. Bring your struggles and weaknesses to God in prayer. Our passage today was the words of Jesus Christ himself teaching us how to pray to God. We are expected and instructed to go to God, asking for his power to stand in the face of temptation. He wouldn't teach this principle if we weren't supposed to do it literally, to actually do it. We've been talking about prayer the last few weeks and how we're supposed to worship God in prayer, how we're supposed to pray for and join in the coming of His kingdom, how we're supposed to seek His will through a real experience of His presence in our life, how we're supposed to ask Him for practical sustenance for the things that we need, how we can come to Him for forgiveness of our sins, and for wisdom in forgiving others. And when we are weak and we know that we don't have the power to withstand temptation, we are supposed to ask for deliverance. If we're honest, we know, we know deep down that our weaknesses can destroy us. We know that the things that tempt us away are appealing and desirable. God, help me now in to be in a position where I am not going to give in. 
because I'm weak. I'm weak. I will give in. I need your strength. I need your deliverance. I need your power to withstand this opposition. There's an assumption that this is going to be a regular part of our prayer life for the rest of our lives. This isn't just something you do when you're a young Christian, when you're learning, when you're immature. This is for everyone. God, help me. Deliver me. Lead me away from the places that I know I will fall. Lead me away from the places that I know that I will give in to temptation. Send me encouragement. Send me strength. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus continues to teach on going to God. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Do you think this is a lie? Do you think that this is an empty teaching? If we're going to sit here and act like the Bible is God's word, that the red letters are Jesus' teachings, then this is real. This is real power, real deliverance, real relationship to be had. So pray. Talk to God. Go to God. Cry out for deliverance. Don't try to keep doing it on your own strength. It's not going to work. You aren't good enough. You aren't strong enough. You just aren't. I'm sorry. Bring your struggles and weaknesses to God in prayer. In the moment of temptation, ask the Lord for deliverance, no matter how small, no matter how big. And expect something. Expect the spirit of the living God to show up. Don't take my word for it. Try it. Pray it out. Bring your struggles and weaknesses to God in prayer. And thirdly and finally, the centering component. Trust in the power of deliverance and take hold of it. This one's pretty straightforward. It's simply faith. Have faith. Faith is trusting and believing in something. It's confidence that you won't be left out in the cold. But it's also a practical recognition that when you pray for deliverance, do not wave off the boat. Do not wave off the helicopter. Don't be so sure that God can only deliver you from temptation in one single way. God works on his terms, and when he shows up, when he picks you up, when he gives you some strength that you didn't have, when he sends you a friend or a shoulder to cry on, don't turn them away. Don't turn God away. But rather, take hold. Take hold of the rope. Take hold of the net. Take hold of the deliverance given to you. I want to invite the band and the... Uh, those who are serving communion to make their way forward as we bring this to a close. And I want to end by sharing a different perspective on a song that I really like. The song is called Soul Survivor. It's 
a song that came out in the summer of 2005, a collaboration between Akon and Young Jeezy. And it's about a guy who is trying to make his way in the neighborhood by whatever means necessary to survive. And Jeezy has a line in there that I love. It's something that my friends and I say all the time. It's, if you get jammed up, don't mention my name. If you get jammed up, don't mention my name. And the idea behind this lyric is that if you get into trouble, don't mention me. Okay, don't get me wrapped up in trouble as well. Just keep my name clear of the trouble that you're in. If you get jammed up, don't mention my name. And if the Lord's Prayer teaches us anything, it's that it ain't like that with Jesus. He wants to get involved when you're in trouble. If you're between a rock and a hard place, call out for help. Call out for deliverance. Jesus says, if you get jammed up, mention my name. Jesus himself went through the most excruciating forms of temptation and trial so that we could be delivered, so that he could give to us the ultimate freedom from sin and death, liberation from slavery to the ways of the world, to our own desires. He walked through that so that we could experience life to the fullest, a a fullest, a life that flourishes. And we will see trials and temptations, but he promises to be with us. He promises to deliver us. So if you get jammed up, mention his name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your promise to us that you will deliver us, that you will be with us in the times of trial and temptation. Lord, we know that we need you. We know that we're not strong enough to do it without you. So be with us. Be present with us in the midst of our difficulty. When it's dark, show us the light. Amen.